0: Welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. I'm Marika Hart from Harrisphere.
1: And I'm Anthony Lowe, the Physio Detective. Together we interview leading authorities, answer questions, and share our thoughts to provide the general public with the best quality information we can find on all aspects of women's health. Please remember the materials and content on this podcast are intended as general information and for entertainment purposes only.
0: They are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now it's time to get cracking with the episode, so whether you're out walking your dog, driving the kids to school, or just sitting back enjoying a glass of wine, we hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, good evening, hello everybody, wherever you are in the world and whatever time zone you happen to be in, Uh, Marika Hart here, we are live on Facebook and uh, we will be coming to you wherever you are, it might be tomorrow, another day, through our podcast apps. but. Today, um, uh, welcome Anthony, first of all, hello.
1: <laughs> hello, how are you?
0: Yeah, pretty good, had a good night's sleep. Awesome. Waking up refreshed. Nice. Um, and we have Heather Edwards, all the way from North Carolina. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. You know, we're so. Um, sorry, go ahead, Anthony.
1: <laughs> oh, that's okay. It was, uh, it's a whole time lag thing. We actually are far away. I'm gonna change my picture to a picture of Australia to show just how far away Rika and I are um, <laughs> but um, you know I met Heather we, we met in person in 2017 it was it was mm-hmm. the end of February I think or the yeah. or the end of January something like that and um, yep. you know we've been yep. in touch ever since so um, it's great to, to have you on the podcast and and to have a chat about these things and I'm really looking forward to this topic as well I uh, can you start just by telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey and uh, how you got into this area of pelvic health?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, so I'm a pelvic physical therapist um, and I started, let's see, I graduated physical therapy school in 2003 and so what I've been doing pelvic health pretty much from my first year out and it was kind of one of those things to where I didn't ever intend to do it but like, the person who was doing the program before me was leaving and they're like, you know, who wants to do this? And everyone sits on their hands and I'm like, I don't mind. You know, I was always like the one who taught girls how to use tampons in grade school and stuff. So, you know, I was like natural progression of all of this. And so I started doing that and it was like kind of okay. I did it, you know, kind of just like a little bit part of my, um, my My caseload, and then, as I went on with it, it was by far my favorite part about um about physical therapy was pelvic health for sure. but then the thing that I really started noticing um was that like the thing that I always felt like I didn't really know what to do or that i I only had like my own my own personal experience to pull from was always the sexuality piece, and so That was always really frustrating to me because that question, I'm sure so many of you out there have had this experience of like, that's the one that brings the tears, right? You know, you ask like a question about, you know, how are things working for you sexually or something like that? And it's like, oh, fine, fine. And then just tears start rolling down. And I remember just always thinking like, okay, that's the place where I really want to know how to like to really know how to do that and so i started just kind of learning more and surrounding myself with you know sex therapists and people who knew a lot more about that and then i kind of got directed on the path to do the um, asex sexuality counseling um uh, and so i did that through the university of michigan and just finished that a couple years ago and then got my asex certification last year. Um, yeah, and so I do adult sex ed events called Vino and Vulvas, um, and I'm also an artist, and um, I do all sorts of crotch art. So part of what I do is also LGBT inclusive stuff, which means that my crotch art is non-binary and trans-inclusive, and I'm trying to spread the love with, with genitals.
0: It's like an make... amazing journey. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so interesting. Okay, you know, you threw a few um, acronyms in there that I'm not really aware of in terms of the qualifications. Do you mind just like outlining mm-hmm. that a little bit more? No problem.
2: Like Asect, was that one?
0: Okay. So
2: um, Asect is it's A A S E C T, and it's the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and it's kind of as far as I understand, um, I mean, it is sort of like the biggest certifying body for basically saying that, look, the people who have the certification have went through, they've put in the work, they've done the supervision, they've put in all of the uh, the background work, and they also agree to a basic standard of, of rules, you know, as far as this is how we're going to behave in a, pres- a professional sense with sexuality. Um, and so, yeah, and so that's what I do. And as far as public PTs that are also asex certified sex counselors, I don't know how many of us are, there are, but I think there's less than five in the world. So, yeah, I know. Wow. (laughs) So you would,
0: you would encourage some of your colleagues to go down this route if they're interested in learning more about sexuality?
2: For sure. Now there's a lot more sex therapists who have, or I'm sorry, um, physical therapists who have been trained or pelvic physical therapists who have been trained in sex counseling, but I don't know how many have necessarily went through and done the actual asex certification because
0: it's, so long it's the pain
2: <laughs> you know but, the um, money the time the energy <laughs> the things yeah so
0: Heather I'm just curious to learn more about um so an average day for you in clinic what does that look like are you still treating things like incontinence and prolapse or is it purely people with sexual women with sexual dysfunction do you work with men as well like what is your what does your yeah. caseload look like and how do you help people within your scope as a PT
2: so I'm guessing we're talking about pre-pandemic right? (laughs) Just to do the time mark on that, we're all sitting here, you know, in our apocalyptic pajamas from home. Um, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Like this was exciting. Bra, lipstick, feel the love. This has not happened much. (laughs) So um, a basic day for me. So now I do clinic days, just two days a week. um, And that's Prior to the the pandemic stuff, um, and it's I, my my schedule is I would say ninety five percent pelvic now. The only other five percent are people who have seen me for pelvic issues and have some sort of you know like usually there's something to where like they feel a lot more comfortable with me whether it's because they're in like a kink lifestyle or because they're poly and that's a thing that kind of applies or because they're lgbtqia or you know they're trans or something like that and so they just want to see me for everything and in which case I just let them you know so they get to stay on my schedule but um yeah I see all genders um so I certainly don't ever call you know I, I don't ever use the term women's health because to me it doesn't like It's really like, like, what does woman mean? Like if, you know, from from the perspective of where I see it, like if I say women's health, I'm always also going to include trans women. Well, trans women could have a penis or they could have a vagina, you know? And so if I'm seeing all the genitals, why does the gender matter for it? And likewise, if I see only vulvas where I'm happy to see non-binary people and also men who have vulvas. So you know, so for me, like, it's just like, yes, I am a pelvic physical therapist. I see all the crotches and it does not matter what gender you attach to your crotch. So, yeah. But, um, as far as diagnoses, let's see, I I would say it's a little bit of everything. Like I still certainly get quite a few referrals that are just for continence, just for, you know, pelvic organ prolapse. Um, and then I start, and then I get some that are, I, I get a lot more now that are pelvic pain and dyspareunia are just really specifically for, for sexual function stuff, which then I always have to, you know, really try to make sure we document any of the other things as possible to make sure we get some sort of coverage for it, because that's frustrating in the U.S. with that, <laughs> but, um. Oh, but is it not covered on insurance? Is that what you not mean? Not all. It's sketchy, or it's, it's, you You never know who's going to cover what, but, yeah, but yeah, so a lot of the things I see are for sexual functions.
1: So, right, wow, there's a there's a lot going on there in in what you just said, and um, you know, Marika and I did have quite a few discussions about calling the podcast the Women's Health Podcast, and um, uh, you know, it's it's yep. it's for those who identify as women, but like you said, um, genitals don't equal gender, and. Um, you know, I, I remember talking to you quite a bit when you opened my eyes into the world that you work in. Um, I think that would have been in 2018. I think we had that little chat. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, do you want to tell us a little bit, explain a little bit more about that? And then um, just also because, um, you know, I remember once forgetting all the letters of the acronym LGBT. So is it Q-I-A. QIA? Yeah.
2: There's so many letters. Yeah. Right.
1: Um, do you want to just explain what what those letters are too, um, so that people can understand what's going on there?
2: Yeah, and the first part of your question, do you mean talking about the gender versus genitals thing? Is
1: yeah, that... absolutely. Okay. You know, and and the problem that we have in, um, you know, we're 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 deciding somebody's gender based on their genitals and. What issues that has created, and how that um, how that affects somebody's life in today's society in different places where they live. Of course, uh, there's different cultural norms and different acceptance mm-hmm. of these things, but also how it presents in terms of um, part of the fabric of their individual presentation when they come and see you with any particular types of problems or. Even if it's not a physical therapy type of problem, how it how it manifests in how they relate in the world. Yeah, so we can
2: talk about just that for two hours, easy, right? So, um, let's see. So, as far as the acronym, we'll start with the easy part of it. So, um, LGBTQIA. um, So, L is for lesbian, B is bisexual, G is gay, um, T is transgender. However, often we will also specify like LGBT and trans inclusive and that's because a lot of times the T does if, if a space declares itself to be like an LGBT space it it's not always super trans inclusive so kind of throwing out a little extra like yes we are actually making this intention to to be trans inclusive as well because you know with any within any community there's always different people agreeing on what is what and who gets to be in what spaces and why. Um, And so then the Q is for queer or questioning. Um, Queer is sometimes that, you know, people think, oh, I can't use that word because that's like a, a slur word. And it's kind of been a word that's been reclaimed by the community. And it is kind of just a word that's just like, So I'm not straight or, you know, or, or the gender sense, like I'm not cisgender. The word cisgender means that the gender you were assigned when you were born is the gender that you grow up identifying as. So, you know, if the doctor pulled me out and said, congratulations, you have a baby girl to my parents. And then I get put on baby girl track through my life and, you know, I grow up and I'm like, all right, yeah, girl, woman, this feels right. Then I would be cisgender. Okay. so you know, when in terms of queer, if someone is like gender queer, that means like they just kind of feel like somewhere in the middle but not really cisgender, maybe not really straight, you know, something else a little bit. Um, queer kind of has a little bit more of a political connotation with it, too, I think. Um, and then I is for intersex, and then a is for asexual, and those two also both have a whole lot behind them. So intersex um, refers to people who which are like about 1 to 2% of the population who are born with you know the way that their bodies are created chromosomally um you know how their genitals form all of that that it's something that's other than like xx equals you know vulva and vagina equals i feel you know growing up like a woman right You know, and or, you know, XY equals, you know, born as as a boy with a penis and a scrotum going on. So there's all sorts of different variations that can happen in between there. And, um, And one of the problems when you talk about kind of the different like societal stigmas and things is for a long time, those babies that were born intersex the doctors would actually surgically assign, do- like, surgery, or they would surgically assign their genitals to one or the other so that it would be easier for them growing up. Well, you know, you can ask a lot of the, you know, folks who had that surgery, like, that, that's not really something that they wanted to happen. A lot of times people were kept, um, or the, and still, you know, they had all these surgeries and doctor's appointments and, and things as children and, you know, as young adults that they never really understood like what that was about or why that was happening to them. So there's a whole lot of issues with um, the intersex uh, community or people who have different intersex body variations that, you know, that are even different, but then they can also layer back on top of the LGBTQ stuff. If that makes sense, so you can almost think of like LGBTQIA as like a layer cake. Sometimes, like it, one's one's a little bit different. Then you're like, oh, well, what's that mean for everything else? But, and the asexual is just people who don't necessarily feel like sex is a big, important driving factor for them. So, yeah. So, and that was the easy question. Jeez, that was so, yeah. See. That was such a
0: great, great overview. Thank you.
2: <laughs> Thanks.
0: Because I, I do feel that, you know, yeah, as the acronym grows longer, I sometimes sit there and I think, oh, what's I again? Um, I feel like I got the first bit and then I've sort of forgotten the second bit. So that was, I, I think, um, I know that we, we don't, we don't want to go too massively into sex because it's uh-huh. a huge topic. But I think um, for me, it's, I even really sort of only understood it in the last few years, but thinking about um, how, how complicated and how confusing it must be. Um, for so many people if you have you know the because you always think of it as being so black and white Mm -hmm. and there's so many variations like chromosomally and anatomically um, Mm -hmm. and then all the yeah all the layers on top of that um, I think it must be really really complex and I know as from the sports physio world I know this is like a sideline but thinking about some of the athletes who have been told you know you're not female enough to compete or you know in that category you're not you're not black and white. You have to be here. And you, you know, it's so complex, right?
2: Yeah. It's, you know, like an example of this too, is like, I have um, an acquaintance, a friend who is an intersex woman, but was assigned male at birth despite being intersex. Right. So then goes through this very mysterious childhood and not really realizing what's going on, what's going on, what's going on. And then ends up as a, you know adult you know man as far as what you know the rest of the world thinks but then always identify still as a woman and so is a trans woman however ever is intersex and has xx chromosomes right but has to go through and do all of the transition because they were assigned surgically the wrong way based on their parents decisions you know so a trans woman who has XX chromosomes yes. <laughs> has to have surgery to get a vagina. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's so complex.
2: It's so complex. Right. So that's always why I'm like, you know, when, I, when I'm like women's health, I'm like, ah, <laughs> so whatever. We're just people. <laughs>
1: it, it is difficult, right? Because it just yeah. seems like there's such a black and white distinction and what we're learning from the research and just through observation is that it isn't that clear cut. Um, and, you know, what do we make of that? Um, you know, how how does that affect people? And we, we've been talking a lot about the, the physical um, and you've, you've touched on some of the, the uh, psychological side as well because um, identification of uh, how you feel you identify is is something that we can't see, right? Mm-hmm. And so, how does that get acknowledged as a problem? A problem, in mm-hmm. terms of you know they were assigned their gender at birth, and yet they identified differently, and they couldn't, you know, babies don't think about their identity at the time. Um, so how does that all work together as well? Um, so yeah, that's why the second part of the the harder question was like. What, what is that spectrum of presentation that yeah. you're seeing out there because it's not a binary classification?
2: Right. I think, I think sometimes as medical providers, we tend to want to apply like a, a top down, like a check this box or this box, check this box or this box, like a kind of, as it goes down. But what I find is a lot more, um, Effective and allowing people to I think feel supported as who they are is allowing them to build their own narrative from the bottom up Right. So if if you don't ever like if you don't ever assume that someone say say you have a Someone who you think is a cisgender woman who's sitting in front of you and you say, okay, well, you know How is sex with your husband? Right? So that assumes all sorts of things, right? It assumes someone's straight. It assumes, you know, that they have a, 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 probably kind of assumes that they have a vagina. I mean, heck, for some people, it might even assume that they're having sex in missionary position, right? You know, that those are the things that we're dealing with. Well, you know, if we instead have any of the people who come into us and we don't assume what their gender is, right? Like we allow them to like refer to themselves, or you know, our paperwork can kind of help um, direct us to to what gender they are. Um, then you know we can like just let that be their truth, you know, and then we don't assume anything about if they have any partners, if how many partners they have. You know, maybe they have multiple partners you know, maybe they have, you know, partners of multiple genders. Maybe they have. So I tend to like not even ask about orientation. And the reason for it is like, it can be really important as far as like having someone feel seen and understood. But sometimes it can be a really complicated question too. So for someone who maybe is a um, a transgender man, right, who started taking testosterone and going through these processes as they're like maybe 40 years old, all of a sudden they're in like a completely different and like a new adolescence right a new puberty and they're learning themselves at first too it's like oh my gosh i don't even like know me yet i I haven't even started to figure out these puzzle pieces of like what kind of sex i like to have or who i like to have it with like it's just a lot you know and i always kind of joke about it for myself like you know if i go in and i see someone who i figure that they're not really very competent as far as like sexual or orientation sort of things, I'm just like, I'm, you know, I just functionally, I'm a lesbian, right? So I'll just kind of go with that, like lesbian. But like, if I'm talking to any of my queer friends, I have a much different descriptor of like, who I am and what I'm attracted to. So it all just depends on your audience, which means as medical providers, You know, we need to be competent audience if we actually want to get the the story about what's going on with someone from our patients, right? If they just look at us and they think, oh, she is going to be so, so judgy if I give any sort of responses and answers that make me seem like I'm not straight or I'm not, you know, cisgender, then I'm just going to play that out and not let anything happen. Another kind of an example of that, I remember I had a patient one time who, um, it was, she was great. And it was, it was one of these funny things to where, Like, you know that thing where, like, you don't really do kind of as much as you thought you were doing on the history, and then, like, three visits later, you're like, how did we miss that huge thing? Yeah. So it was kind of one of those, and I just, we, I kind of learned to, to, like, drop kinky breadcrumbs a little bit more, like, earlier on based on this visit, which means just, like, using terms and things that someone who is kinky or is into BDSM will be able to pick up on that they'll be like, oh, okay, she knows what she's talking about. So I can use those terms and I can actually tell her what I'm doing sexually with my body, you know, as opposed to just pretending like, nope, nope, everything's just fine and normal and vanilla, you know. Um, And so this was one of those patients to where that was kind of the case. And we were, you know, going on and, you know, got to this really comfortable place where we were working on things and we could really talk about what it was that she wanted to be able to do sexually with her body and everything. And one of the things that we had, I, I told her about was a squatty potty and she was so excited. The squatty potty was fantastic. It works great, you know, and then she goes back to her primary care physician and she told her primary care physician about the squatty potty, and she's like, oh my gosh, this thing has like changed my life for my bowel movements, and her primary care physician said about that, said, I don't need to know what you do in your private life about a squatty potty, and keep in mind this patient was like in the BDSM scene, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, so, you know, so like zero amount of credibility for this patient to be able to disclose anything else to this care provider.
0: So, I'm I just, just imagining a, a doctor going, poo,
2: la, 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 la. <laughs> I know. So, I thought, Too much. I like, what? I'm like, that's like the tamest thing. I mean, you know, it's pretty easy, a pooping position. But, but yeah, like, people get wigged out about it. Like, ugh. But yeah.
1: And, you know, you're in North Carolina. My traditional oh. um, stereotype of North Carolina is that it's part of the South. Um, and, and I am a Christian, um, I identify as a Christian uh, that respects all people and you know, takes people as they come. How, how is it working in North Carolina, which I presume just has a stronger conservative type of base um, for these people who you're helping, uh, the people in your area that you're helping because I'm sure you help people um, all over the place. But yeah, for those people in your area, having to deal with people like their doctor, um, like their health provider, who may have very strong ideas on what's right or wrong. um, Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
2: Yeah. So, um, so first, yes, like, you know, the whole Bible Belt of the South is a very real thing. Um. Within that, though, because it's such a huge geographical area, like where I am in Asheville is actually kind of like a pretty liberal bubble that has a, a pretty, it's very, it's, it's very progressive. It's very like LGBT. Um, it's like Austin crucial. in
1: Texas type thing, is it?
2: yeah sort of that like those some of those little like bubble cities like that you know um like madison wisconsin and portland oregon and all of that a lot of the stereotypes hold true again for those as well but um <laughs> for here but it's kind of comical it's like you know the people who come in and they just want to do the crystals instead of the therapy you know you have to make sure they're using non-porous material to put inside their yonis right so um but yeah, but then I work that I so I work at a, a community hospital, and it's actually a half an hour outside of Asheville, and so it is in definitely like the more conservative part of of the the state. Um, so it's interesting. Um, oh, gosh, got lots of different angles on that one of the things is that um people especially like within the trans community because that is is such a huge like being mistreated by your medical provider uh you know as a trans person can have some really crappy damaging effects that like where you're either blocked for care or um it, it, you know all sorts of, of really not great stuff. Or, you know, there's a there's high level of people getting like genital examinations when they don't need genital examinations or things are kind of being treated like, a, oh, you're my first trans patient. Like, I want to learn all about transgender things, you know, and I don't know. There's just a lot of things that have been reported in a lot of the surveys um, that have, have been challenging. So a lot of times what happens is people all go by word of mouth right like so there are like a couple doctors in the area that see like all the trans patients you know and so in order to have trans you know to be able to see trans patients like it took me several years to even start getting referrals and then you know i even after that like it's like people are calling around and finding out who is this person you know is she okay is she safe can i go see her is she going to misgender me you know, is this going to be a horrible experience, you know? Um, And so now, you know, what I try to do to help other trans patients, if I'm sending someone on like as a referral is to try to like help smooth the way and really figure out who, which doctors are going to be okay. Who's going to be safe. If I can help to have a conversation with that person beforehand or anything like that to, um, to help, because just doing like cold calls and going in is, is can often be a, you just don't know what you're going to run into and it's just not worth it you know but then isn't even like we talk about providers but it's also like the person that's calling to schedule you you know it's the person who you know you see at the front desk it's all of that so there's there's a lot of layers of barriers that can be um uh, psychologically and emotionally really challenging to be someone who you know society perceives as other you know going into a space trying to to receive care so
0: just unmuting. um that probably leads quite nicely, Heather, into, I'd really like to know as a health professional, but also for our fitness professionals that are listening as well. I think for many of us, um, we'd love to be able to create a space that is welcoming. Um, and I know that what you're saying is that so much of that is, is word of mouth. It's people's previous experiences, if they've had a good experience, if they felt safe and listened to and have not had. That some of those assumptions that you talked about um made with upon them or put upon them um mm-hmm. so i'd love just to get some if you could give us like a few really good tips so for the health and the fitness industry just what would be apart from obviously being open and listening and not making assumptions so is there anything even in terms of the environment or how we how how that experience is when you walk in the door about maybe things that are on the wall or the way that that intake form is presented and the questions that are in there is there anything that you would suggest that we could do immediately that would just take away some of those little barriers and those difficulties
2: um yeah for sure i mean you know there's the making sure you know as far as environmentally making sure the artwork supports everyone you know what's your status with the with um locker rooms right like if you have a non-binary person who comes in You know, what is, like, do they get to choose what locker room they go to if they go into a locker room and some people in that locker room feel as if that person shouldn't be in there and they come and complain to the front desk? Like, what's going to happen? You know, like, those are the things that are, like, really important, right? Who's going to, is the the non-binary person going to be told to leave? You know, that that's not okay or that they need to use the other locker room or something like that? Or, you know, are you going to have a policy that is posted is that we allow everyone to use the locker room of the gender that, you know, that, that they, the, the, the locker room that feels safe to them, you know, as far as what gender they identify with. So just kind of figuring out those policies. So because it's, you know, you can have as many policies for your staff and everything as, as possible, but what are you going to do when someone else who is potentially you know, not tr- someone in your waiting room or someone else in the, the gym is, um, being disrespectful or misgendering this person or, you you know, using any sort of, you know, slurs slurs or just being inappropriate with them. Um, and, you know, the, the answer needs to be that you need to make sure that you've got your policies to where you are going to stand up for, you know, someone who is non-binary or, you know, genderqueer or transgender, being able to use the facilities just like anyone else would be able to. So, And you know, and that can, there's different layers, there's complications and things that can go along with that. But that's definitely one of the big things because, you know, as a cisgender woman, if you went into a space and, you know, you had no idea what bathroom you would be able to use or if that would be okay, or if someone was gonna tell you, you shouldn't be in the bathroom, like you wouldn't go to that gym, you know? So I think that's one of the big things is just kind of like the safety of the space. And, you know, are you supported in that space? Um, you know, I think that goes, you know, and, and paperwork is great, too. But it, more than anything, it's that how are you going to support people in your space? Are you going to be there for them or not? Um, also, I would like to if can I shout out another out uh, another podcast while I'm on your podcast? <laughs> There's one called uh, Decolonizing Fitness, and I am so regretting that. I think their first name is Ilya. I can't remember their whole name exactly, but it's Decolonizing Fitness is the podcast. And it's fantastic. It's a a genderqueer person of color who's a physical therapy assistant and a personal trainer who does this podcast and oh my gosh, they have just blown my mind on so many occasions with things that I never even considered. So if this is something that like you're really wanting to make sure that you are being inclusive and taking in all those considerations with a, in a fitness sort of setting, I would absolutely check out, um, that, that podcast decolonizing fitness.
0: Put that in the show notes.
1: Definitely. Okay, cool. Definitely. We're happy to share good resources around. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's such a, It's such a difficult thing and it's confusing, you know, um, because you want to try and do the right thing and then it's hard to know where to go to find some of those things. So we'll ask you about that later on. Um, you know, because if we want to understand the language and want to help people without treating them like, you know, a human zoo, Oh look, a trans person, let's, you know, let's experiment on you and find out, you know, that's not what they're there for. Um, (laughs) And I can tell you from what I know, because I can only tell you what I know, I can't tell you what they haven't told me, is that my experience has only really been with people who've identified as lesbian or gay. Let's see, I don't think there's been any trans um, and bisexual. So just the, you know, the the almost, it almost seems like they're socially acceptable these days. And the other acronyms, right, are a lot less known, so they don't really understand about that because, you know, but you have, you have a vagina, you have a vulva, and yet you're saying that you want to use the male toilet. That can't work here. And like what you were saying, it's just, it seems like such a, a mental load to have to step through as a person who is dealing with those things. And then because I care as well and want to do the right thing, I feel like it's you know it's important and I realized in my languaging that you know even things like you said you know how is sex with your husband um, changing that around uh, to to be more inclusive uh, it definitely takes practice and people have been very understanding Um, and when I make the mistakes it's like oh my goodness like uh, you know, and, and I definitely remember those times because that's not what I'm there for. I'm not to, there to help people be uncomfortable. So um, where I was going with all of that is um, helping people feel safe. You've already mentioned um, thinking about the artwork, for example, and the setup and the way that your staff interact with people. And then because you can't control what other people do who aren't your employees, for example having a policy in place and just making sure that people know uh, what the deal is and how you are inclusive of everybody, including people who identify in a way that you may not even agree with, or even is a thing. You know, I've had people tell me that, ah, oh, that's not even a thing. And it's like, hmm, okay, yeah. oh, we're just gonna. So
2: maybe it's not a thing for them, right? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> right. But clearly. <laughs> we'll... but clearly it's a thing. Right. um so yeah i'll i'll just ask that you know where can health and fitness professionals learn more about the language and about the um the information that would help in that way uh in that way to to help people feel comfortable and start disclosing and 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 just uh help almost message to people during a consult that hey you know it's safe for that to allow the breadcrumbs, like you said, without having to overtly come out and say. So, tell me about the things that you're interested in, so that because I suspect that you're into kink, for example. Right,
2: <laughs> you look pretty kinky. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, if you, the the nice thing about this is there are so many resources if you just go to like like Google it. <laughs> you know and like look for some different like youtube channels and things like there's all sorts of really great like trans 101 stuff and things that are that are out there you know there's also like the fenway institute has a fantastic educational series um that you can look at um that's for medical providers about transgender issues um i usually like sometimes i i I go more towards looking at trans stuff because like if you can be pretty competent with trans stuff then like the gay bisexual and lesbian stuff all folds in pretty darn easily right um but you know i mean yes there are different layers of it but when gender is so such a big part of it if you can understand the gender part of it and you can understand that gender is separate from orientation then all of a sudden it's like oh okay this is obviously you know we don't have to You know be making like connecting dots for people in our heads we just let them fill out their own dots Um, as far as in the clinic one of the things that that i like to do with patients is when they come in i'll kind of ask them you know so what brings you here and just let them tell me their story how they want to say it you know what's going on with them and then before i go into my history of everything Um, I'll just, I'll just say, it's like, all right, so I'm going to go through, I said, because I'm a pelvic physical therapist, we look at all the systems together. So I'm going to be asking you questions about urination stuff, about bowel movements, about sexual function, about pain, about pressure, you know, all of those different things that might not seem like they're super relevant to you, but you know, but it helps me get a better idea of what's going on. And also, so, you know, as we go through and we ask these questions that, if there's anything you know as far as like you know orientation gender you know what sort of relationships you're in you know what sort of things you like to do sexually just so you know everything is okay in here like you know you will receive no judgment from me it's easier for me to actually get the information of what what's going on with your body and what your goals are so that i can help you reach those goals and so that usually is like people are like oh, like i've had people cry from that you know Um, but so just like being able to throw that out there that it's like, look, I'm here for, for you and your story. You don't have to like cram yourself into any sort of box that you think is going to be easier for me to treat because it's not, it's easier if you're just you, um, so that's help. And I also let people cuss. Like I tell them that off the, i like, you can use any words for any parts that you want. Like, I don't care. You don't have to try to use in medical terms. You can curse as much as you want. And that also usually helps them a lot. Like to get a little more real and honest with the things that are going on for them. So yeah, I don't know. Probably not everyone's way of doing it, but it works well for me. <laughs> so
0: no, that's, that sounds, that sounds very, um, Yeah. It sounds like common sense in in a way, Heather, you just started with something very open, like an open ended question and then you've actually let them know and given them permission to say, Hey, tell her how it is. You, there's, you're not going to shock me. Right. (laughs) This is what I do for a living. I've heard it all before. Go for it. Um, providing that safe space, which sounds amazing. I, I'm just a little bit interested and I don't know whether this is something that you are happy to talk about or not. So feel free not to, but, Mm You know, we were just very briefly talking before we got on about. I was telling you about my my child, who's just who she's fascinated by, um, sexuality and gender and orientation and like all this all this kind of stuff. And I feel, which I'm I'm actually really happy about, like the fact that she's interested in it. She's um, learning more about it. She and her friends talk about it at school. Um, mm-hmm. They talk about you know pansexuality. sexuality. There's I'm learning terms all the time that I've never heard before. Um, but I that when I look back and reflect on my high school journey, I mean, she's only 11, right? So I think back to when we were growing up and everything was just very black and white and even to be, I mean, I I can't even think about anyone in high school. And I went to a big high school who actually was openly gay. It feels like things are slowly changing and the tide Mm. is slowly turning so I'd be interested in your reflection on that and whether you think that people are becoming more accepting as a community and maybe that's just in our little liberal bubbles, who knows. Um, but I'd just be interested to see whether you think that the that things are changing, that people are becoming more open-minded, that there is more support for LGBTQIA, a don't think I've got more um, people in the community. And yeah, I'm, I'm just curious to that. And then if you think for parents too, um, that there's more that we can do just to, again from a younger age just say to our kids look we love you how you are these are all options available
2: yeah so um yeah i mean like all, i i i feel the same way i've got two kids that are 9 and 12 and the, my 12 year old who's in 7th grade you know i so many of his friends are you know gay or you know different genders and orientations and things like that and you know and it's it's funny because they'll do the thing with me of like they'll be like oh yeah I'm talking to my friend so and so and then I'll say like oh you know is she you know something like well don't assume her gender or you know don't assume their gender mom you know <laughs> so <laughs> even like, Heather oh, gets
0: total <laughs> oh, I
2: know right like, I know my bad but um but yeah so that's it's kind of neat and I, I think that's great too like one of the the things that I that I want to see not happen so much anymore is like for people, for teenagers to feel really, really nervous about coming out to their parents. And then when they do come out to their parents, their parents are like super supportive and happy about it. And I'm like, well, why were they so nervous about it? You know? (laughs) So like you said, tell them from a very, very young age that like, it's fine. You know, like you can be who you are and love who you are. And we're always going to love you no matter what. So that there's not ever a time where anything is assumed of their, orientation right you know with your kids like don't ask oh do you have a girlfriend yet if you've got a little boy or oh do you like boys or which boy do you like you know because what you're doing is you're you're putting them in a box that then they have to figure out how they're going to come out against your expectations right so if you don't ever put any of those expectations on them and just allow them to be who they are and they'll you know see you not putting those expectations on them then um yeah then it's a lot easier and coming out is just like a more fun thing or, you know, or they're, they they do not even necessarily have to come out. They just like tell you, Oh, I'm dating someone and, you know, and he's great, you know, or something. And it's like, cool. Awesome. We'd love to meet up, you know?
1: There's an ad on TV at the moment, um, talking about the 5G network. And, um, you know, there's these two guys and, um, and his phone doesn't work. So the other guy gives him his phone and he calls up his parents, um, Mom, Dad, we just got engaged, and like it's it's these two stereotypical conservative-looking kind of ocker type Aussies, and it's like, ah, that's great. We should have thought that happened ages ago. Do you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. it's already changing in society and in in the ads as well, um, which is which is super interesting, you know, because it wasn't that long ago that <laughs> that people were violently attacked for right. even. Looking a little bit different, you know, and um, yeah, so it's 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 important to to keep that conversation open with the kids. And like Marika said, you know, um, I think my my daughters my daughter talks a lot more about it than my boys. My boys are very typical, uh, uh, very typical boys in, in the way that they talk about things. Um, Whereas my daughter is much more open and inclusive and um, talks about the whole spectrum of sexuality, gender, orientation, and it's quite interesting. They all go to the same school. Uh, So how that works is very, very fascinating to me. Um, I did want to uh, shift gears a little bit because I know that um, one of the things that you've talked to me about before is uh, the BDSM community, uh, the kink community, and, you know, sex, not just being penis in vagina, um, mm-hmm. you know, what, what is having sex um, or what does that look like? Can you talk to us a little bit more about that and what you've learned from um, being around those those communities and um, and just the languaging and the messaging and, and the meaning about what sex is and um, that sort of topic?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think one thing to kind of point out is far more people are kinkier than you think. And um, and so we I think we tend to assume that most everyone is more, you know, vanilla. And when I say vanilla, I don't mean that in any sort of like negative way, you know, just in that, you know, doing well, what things. Is kink? Are, right. You know? I know this, it's really hard to define them. Okay. So do you want all the, the acronym breakdowns?
0: Okay.
2: <laughs> all right. So, so let's see. So. BDSM is four letters. I thought you were going
0: to say kink was an acronym. I was like, what? I didn't know that.
2: No, kink is kind of like an umbrella term. Okay. So kink is kind of like, like any sort of like extra fun play things that people like to do and incorporate sexually, but not necessarily always sexually. Okay. So I know. So there's a lot to unpack even with that. But then within kink, BDSM is kind of a a more structured subset of kink. So BDSM stands for it's it's four letters but it's actually six letters. It's bondage and domination or I'm sorry bondage and discipline then domination and submission. So it's B D D, D M um, S S and then let's see what's so discipline and submission and then some sadomasochism or sadism and masochism. You can tell I've been like, I haven't been talking about this stuff for a month because I've just been in my house watching cartoons with my kids. I'm like, ah, get back on it here. But um, yeah, so but that's kind of all what it it is. And so within BDSM, there there's a lot of like different power structure things. The other really great thing about BDSM is they have. they have so many really fantastic tools for communication and for rules of how to like treat one another and how to make sure that you're safe through scenes. And so I actually love using BDSM structure with a lot of my patients um, because one of the things, you know, with our pelvic pain patients. Often, like, if we can get them to start being a little more, like, you know, comfortable in their bodies, right, or, you know, using a dilator, like, okay, this is working, and then we have to figure out how to, like, start incorporating another person into that with them, you know, being able to use a structure to where they have, like, a conversation before They know what their communication is going to be during, and then they have a way to do a wrap up afterwards. And then also they've got a much wider variety. So I'm always, one of the things I'm always trying to do with my patients, um, and then it fits really well in with the kink and BDSM stuff, is making sure usually when they come in, like if they're coming in for painful sex, like if we're looking at a pie chart, it's often penetrative sex is like their whole pie chart right? Like that is what sex is and I can't do it. And so I am broken and oh my gosh, help me. I have to be able to fix my vagina often, you know, is what we see. And so what I want them to say is like, all right, so we're absolutely going to work with that issue. But part of what I want you to do is we're going to take penis and vagina sex or whatever sort of penetrative sex that they might be doing. And we're going to make that just a piece of the pie on your pie chart it's not going to be the whole thing and because what we want is we want your sexual you know we want your sex life and your feelings about yourself and your relationship with one another um to be so much more resilient than that because at some point if we're always just relying on one sort of function like Like you know, that can break in so many different ways, and so we need to have lots of backups. Um, So, uh, so I like to really kind of use a lot of the different things, like uh, sensory play and sensation play, and things that are in the the kind of in the kink umbrella to be able to start supplementing with people to be like, hey, well, have you tried this? And hey, you know, you could try this sort of thing too. And um, I don't ever call it kink or BDSM, just for the record, too, because I think that's way too intimidating. But I'm just pulling from from, a, from those scripts and from the, that menu more so to kind of help suggest for people um, what, what other sort of things are available. Because, you know, if you just say, oh, well, you can do things other than penetrative sex, but then you don't give them any examples, that's kind of challenging too. Um, so... Yeah. So as far as, and then also, you know, making sure that what I'm talking to them, I, you know, used two examples there that were like vaginal penetrative sex with a penis, but making sure that I'm understanding like what sort of penetration are they wanting to do if they are wanting penetration at all. Right. And making sure that I put like, that I'll say, you know, anal penetration or just vaginal penetration. And also with someone who has a penis, like talking to them, if they're talking about penetrative sex, you know, are they being penetrated or are they, you know, penetrating or are they doing both? and which ones are more problematic and are they using toys or fingers or you know penis or what like you know I make sure that I keep all the options on there and I make people have to tell me their narrative as opposed to assuming what they're doing and then they have to correct me because the correction is hard right that's where the the judgy stuff comes in
0: (laughs) but yeah you can tell our I think our brains are just sort of thinking 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 thinking. I know Uh, (laughs) Oh, I it's, it's I think it's it's excellent it's such um it's such an interesting topic and I'm just thinking back to the painful intercourse um, aspect because that's something that mm-hmm. as like public health physios you know we see a lot of um, I'm interested in your taking on um sort of cultural differences because I think sometimes that's that 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 can be quite a tricky thing to navigate when you have people from different cultures who may be from a very conservative culture uh-huh. and you're trying to I guess, open their eyes to a few other possibilities in a way that's not sort of imposing your thoughts or anything on that, but just letting them know right. that there are other things that they may not have ever heard yeah. about or experienced.
2: Yeah. So a, a two different, so one thing, um, Anthony, you kind of asked me about like, like redefining sex and this totally fits in with this too, um, is that when i talk to people i say okay so what is it that sex means to you you know and you know just have them give me like a few words you know like what is it when when you think when you want to have sex with someone what is it that you want out of that experience and usually it's not like i just want to you know have an orifice penetrated or i just want to you know it's usually things like you know, I want to be, feel closer or like, you know, create intimacy or like, it's this thing that we do that kind of brings us together. And I, I really don't want that to be gone and things like that, you know, and, um, and sometimes even like pleasure will be in there too, but sometimes I'll have to like kind of ask that like, and pleasure, right? Like you want thing, you want some things that feel good for you and, you know, the person that you're people you're engaging with, right? Usually, if it's people they're engaging with, then they
0: probably... Are. I, I've got a, a few patients at the moment who is, it's it's for um, procreation. Right. And the concept of pleasure has not even really come into the yes. conversation.
2: Right. So that's kind of a different sort of function, right, as, as far as that. You know, I mean, because, you know, that then there's definitely more of a mechanical piece to it that, you know, you're trying to hit these goals so that you can make that happen. But, you know, but then of course being able to relax and have pleasure as any sort of part of it can then help things work a little better, but it is hard when there's any goal oriented sex is like the hardest thing to deal with. Right. Like an When people come in and they really want to have an orgasm for the first time, it's so hard because you know, that's, it's that goal oriented piece of it that can make it so challenging. Um, But yeah, but so, so often if I can get people, you know, kind of outside of that, but I mean, even I don't get patients trying to think a little bit. Sometimes I've had patients with that. Yeah. And I still use the same approach. Like I can think of a couple patients and it still kind of works, but I will, I'll instead focus on, you know, pleasure and like, what are the things that you can do together that actually are pleasurable, you know, and like, just like rethinking about it like we're in and i often will have people if we're working on any sort of um like painful vaginal intercourse i'll try to separate out like the rehab part of it from the erotic part of it like as we're going through it so it's not like they're constantly trying to get this thing that is painful and uncomfortable and awkward and medical to all of a sudden also feel sexual at the same time but instead like kind of do the erotic part of the homework which is like conversations to have, you know, like some journaling stuff to do, some questions to ask them, like, you know, just going through and thinking what is actually pleasurable to your senses, like what smells do you like to smell? What things do you like to look at? Like what touch, what kind of touch do you like? Is it, you know, soft and gentle? Is it hard? Is it sharp? Is it scratchy? Like just kind of going through and actually figuring out like when it's just you and your body and, you know, your entity, what is it that you like because sometimes that's a question people have never asked themselves right you know I mean often people who are raised women are taught that sex is not about them it's only about serving someone else right and then someone sometimes that can also then be frustrating because a lot of times like in those situations if it's like in a heterosexual couple you know the the male will then kind of get frustrated if you know, the woman doesn't seem to be enjoying it or any of that. And I, I ask her what she wants and she doesn't know. And, you know, (laughs) it just becomes sort of a cyclical frustration for people. So I always try to really encourage like, you know, partners to really take stock of what it is that they actually enjoy for themselves and what they actually really want and sometimes that homework in and of itself is really challenging um but then on the other side of it we're like working on getting you know all of our body parts and everything to work and work and so then I'm trying to like get those until all of a sudden all right now we can make that work together you know so that's our goal but that was kind of yeah so I I separate the physical therapy from our erotic homework and work on them separate
1: yeah it's um communication is such a big thing it's um uh, like you said, you know, I, I, I had a question of how would you uh, ask clients to start talking about this with each other? And, and you just started talking about it, which is fantastic. It's like, yeah. <laughs> um, But, you know, it's it's even that vulnerability, depending on their, their upbringing, their beliefs, their attitudes towards uh, what things have meaning, the stories that they have, their past experiences, you know, and being vulnerable, because maybe they've Maybe they've enjoyed sex in a certain way, and have asked for that, and then have um, been ridiculed or or shamed for enjoying something, and so then that they carry that forwards, um, and that's a you know that's that's something that weighs on people, and you know it it, it takes a while sometimes for people to open up about things like that, um, and and I've had people say, oh you know. I was really worried about telling you that. And you seem so accepting. It's, it's almost like their past experiences of physios, physical therapists, particularly guys has been a certain thing. So they come in with a bunch of assumptions. So just being able to communicate, that's what I'm getting a lot from this podcast is understanding language, understanding what things mean to people, um, understanding what exists out there and, uh, even for that to be an option for the people that we interact with, whether you're, they're your clients, your friends, your family, the kids, um, mm-hmm. you know, strangers, um, you know, safe spaces. And how do you communicate that? And what does that actually mean? And what does it, what does it mean for the person who's not comfortable with that? And um, like it, it seems to be all just boiling down to understanding and communication. Um, have I got that right?
2: yeah that's pretty good i mean it's it's just it's the the fundamental freedom for everyone to be who they are like you know if i can be who i am and you can be who you are and we can talk and accept each other on that level and i'm not going to assume things about you and you're not going to assume things about me and let's just see where our conversation goes like it's it's pretty great um one of the first times that i went to like a um a transgender conference sort of thing it was Like, you know how sometimes you have those experiences where your brain, like, you can feel your brain rewiring itself. Like, that was the first time that I had actually, like, been in a space to where I really realized that I really could not assume anything about anyone in there. Like, based on their appearance, you know. If they um, looked a certain way, or if their gender was expressing a certain way, that didn't mean anything about what their genitals were, right? And then, like, you know, even if I did maybe know what their genitals were like and saw what they looked like, I would have no idea about who they're attracted to. You know, I have no idea what pronouns I like to use. You know, as far as how they refer to themselves, just like all of those levels, right? And so, and it just made me realize how much my brain was just walking around, always connecting all of those dots all the time. And I was like, oh wow. Yeah. Like that's super annoying, you know, but then like going through and being able to be in that space and having, you know, people and now, you know, having a lot more friends, you know, in kind of in queer spaces, it's like, that's what we grant each other. We grant each other that ability to just be whoever the heck you are. And like, that's always going to be okay. And we're not going to assume or, you know, put any pressure on you to behave in a certain way because of a way that you present. And so um, it's pretty lovely. Like it was definitely one of those things that once I started being in that space a little more and got a taste of that, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not going back to, you know, like, uh, and it has been fun, because, like, um, I teach for Pelvic Guru, I teach a transgender course, and now I teach a a sex counseling course as well, and um, I teach with a friend of mine um, named Tuesday Farrell, who's an absolutely amazing presenter, and and Tuesday is um, a very visibly non-binary person. Tuesday really appreciates about themselves, that when someone looks at them, their brain, like, misfires because you can't figure out any of those things that you're normally kind of putting together just based on their their presentation and they you know they joke like if if you look at me and you know you're trying to figure out my gender and you are confused then you have gotten it right you know <laughs> so <laughs> um but but yeah, it's really fun because one of the things that we do in there is we kind of create queer space for people. And it's often a lot of like cisgender, you know, and straight people who are in the course. And it's like, one, that's one of the things they respond to. It's like, oh my gosh, everything in here is just okay. Like we can just talk about all of it. And like, there's no normative script at all. If anything, we make it a queer normative script just to make it so different than what we're used to doing, you know? So yeah, it's kind of fun.
0: You brought up something. Uh, you touched on something there, Heather. And I think this is um, one of the things a lot a lot of people who are learning about this field worry about is saying the wrong thing or, or doing the wrong thing. There's this fear that, oh shit, what if I say what if I say he instead of she or get something wrong? Um, and they can it, it, that can feel almost crippling because she's like, oh my god, I don't want to offend somebody. And um, I'd be interested in your take on that. Whether it's just better just to kind of say, look, oh sorry, if I made a mistake totally apologize for that um, and just acknowledge it and, and move on. Uh, just do your best. Would you just say that's yeah. okay? Oh
2: yeah, absolutely. So best thing to do. So, it, you know, if you don't know someone's gender, right. And and what's, what's best to do if you're really going to put yourself through really trying to Rewire and learn. This is to try not to assume anyone's gender. Mm. Right? Like we didn't. I should have like told you my pronouns when I came on. We didn't do any of the pronoun stuff. Right? You know. Uh, but you know, I use she, her, or them, they pronouns as far as for mm-hmm. my. You know, and I consider myself to be non-binary, though I'm usually pretty femi-presenting. Um, so, but one of the things is to to not really assume that. You know, like my twelve says, my twelve-year-old says, don't assume their gender, mom. You know. Um, but then past that, like once you know what someone, what pronouns someone uses, then do your best to use those pronouns, but then also realize that you're going to screw up. But I mean, you probably screwed up with like cisgender pronouns too, occasionally, right? And it's like not the end of the world and not a big deal. And so, you know, if you do like, you know, accidentally misgender someone, then you just apologize, correct, and move on for it. You know, if I said, like, oh, Anthony, she teaches this class. Oh, sorry. No, he he teaches this class. It's really great. And I went to it, you know, like no big deal. Like it, it doesn't have to be the big thing. The the thing where it becomes problematic is where like if I said, oh Anthony, you know, she teaches this class about um about a female athlete, which is a really fantastic class. And I said. oh, oh my gosh, Anthony! I'm so sorry. You know, you know me of all people. I would never try to say anything like that, you know, to where you make it this big production and trying to prove yourself because then that puts Anthony in a position of being like, oh God, now I just have to get her to shut up, you know, and like, and like okaying me and being like, no, Heather, it's okay. I know you're a good person. I know you wouldn't try to do that. You know, it's in the it just becomes like, a weird caretaking, codependent situation. Right. So that's also not the thing we want to do. You just want to like, apologize and move on. Also, like if it was, if, you know, if I know that Antony is cisgender and I know that Antony uses he pronouns and I use she accidentally for Antony and then I just like, and so that wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? Like I just go, oh yeah, he and move on with it. But if I happen to know that maybe Antony actually does identify as a woman and Antony has confided this in me and I blew it in front of this group of people and now I'm like doing this big apology. Well, then all of a sudden that starts putting Antony on the map of like, okay, what the heck? Like is Heather like outing Antony or something, you know, you know, so it's just kind of that like you just, yeah, apologize and move on. Don't make it any sort of big deal. People screw up all the time.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting about pronouns, you know, the European languages have built in gender assignment into the language. And, you know, my, my, my genetic background is Chinese. Um, and one of the things that is a joke amongst us, you know, second generation people who grew up in a Western country is that our parents, our grandparents always get gender wrong because there is no gender. And so quite often, they will refer to um, somebody who is a a cis female as he. Oh, you know, he does this. And and we have a bit of a giggle because they just forget that there's a gender thing going on. um, And they and them. So it's interesting because when I was younger, and much less aware, still learning, when I was younger, that was something to laugh about because, oh, you, you don't even know that he or she, and now I'm older, it's like, isn't it interesting that there wasn't gender in the first place? Um, right, that was but way it was, <laughs> there, there, there is some things, of course, like sister, brother is how you refer to people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there is implied gender, but there are no gendered pronouns, which is um, which is fascinating. and And then also laughing at people who have a second language. Like, I, I, I was that person because it's like, holy crap, I've only got one. And Wait. and like, I know how hard it is to learn others. So, <laughs> so they're doing okay, you know, and when you find out yeah. somebody can speak five languages, it's like, how do you even, right? I, that doesn't compute in my brain. Um, switching gears again, just because I'm really interested in your thoughts on this, or we are really interested in your thoughts on this. Um trans uh transgender operations um pain rehab um you know we're hearing a lot more about it in recent years gender reassignment surgeries uh can you tell us about some of the special considerations uh that go into um working as a pelvic pt in that in that area with those people
2: yeah i mean you know courses, right, you know, <laughs> and, and speaking of which, there's a really fantastic course coming up, and I wish I would have looked at the date, but it's the, the APTA, it's no longer the section on women's health, it's the something pelvic health, the academy something, yeah, but anyway, um, uh, um, Sandy Gallagher, and I think, uh, Caitlin Smigalski, Smigelski, um, are teaching this course, that is a it's for all PTs about transgender patients. it's not just pelvic, but that would be a fantastic one um, to, to and well and now it I think it's like later this month and so it, the whole thing moved online um, And so you can take it from anywhere so that would be a pretty great one to do as far as just kind of getting up with that because they'll I, I think in this one they'll probably go through a lot of the surgical stuff um, because there are a ton of considerations um, to go through. I don't even know if I could do it justice to 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 try to, to go through stuff. Um, I think one of the, the, the basic things, just as far as asking with history is, you know, you want the, it's, it's not what, you know, you said like gender reassignment surgery, but we want to call it gender affirmation surgery. So, you know, they're not, you, you can't really be assigned a gen, well, I mean, you can be, your genitals can be assigned to a body type, but you know, your gender is what's in here, right? So it can't really be Assigned, <laughs> so it can just be aligned or affirmed. So, yeah. So that's just kind of one of the, the considerations. But um, yeah. So vaginoplasties are the ones that are definitely more common that we're seeing a lot more of. Which means that someone who had a penis and scrotum um, are having a surgery to then create um, usually a vulva and a vagina. It might not. It might be just a vulva, um, depending on what you know someone's needs are. The surgeries um, tend to have, you know, surgical protocols. Depending on your surgeon, can be different as far as what's there. The kind of the pretty interesting thing with um, vaginoplasties is, uh, like, afterward, like after you know surgery, you know, the the vagina, like it, it's really, it. You can kind of work with it a lot, like a cisgender woman's vulva and vagina. Like it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Like as far as like, cause you know, the pelvic floor muscles are all going to be basically the same, the same sort of configurations and all that. So, you know, there are some basic differences, but, but it's pretty interesting to, to work with people. And just, I don't know, I'm just like always nerding out with how fascinating the anatomy is and how like what can happen and work and, and all of that. So I don't, do you have any more, uh, like, I don't know how to to dive in on that topic because there's so many things as far as like the way that transgender people you know use their bodies as far as like if it's a trans masculine person they might be binding breasts down and so where there's like back shoulders you know all sorts of different injuries or you know problems that can happen with that breathing issues stuff like that i mean the way people use their bodies for urinating or you know how to you know use a stand-up peeing device or not or like <laughs>
1: There's lots. Yeah. Like, even if you just ran through just a whole (laughs) bunch of issues, just to open people's minds, like, not even, you know, I I think it would be unfair, like you said, and that wasn't the intention of the question. Oh, okay, I've got a transgender person, how do I treat them? That's really unfair. But just even expanding the the space of possibilities of some of the issues that people have to deal with, like what we were talking about earlier, uh, about... Um, you know, I, I never even thought that that would be a consideration, but now that I've heard it on the podcast, I can listen for it, or I can be considerate that that is something that they may be having to deal with. And we don't even have to describe it and outline it. And like, that is the, the, the point of doing a course, right? So, um, but just even having that possibility that these things are being dealt with by people, uh, helping people um, is is really helpful, I think, because I found that every time, you know, we've Mm -hmm. spoken a lot over the years, um, even just talking to you about different things, it's like, oh, that's a thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I need to, I need to know that's a thing. Um, I don't necessarily need to know how to deal with that thing, but I just need to know that's a thing. Um, so that's, that's where that question was coming from.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah. So, um, a different, you know, like we kind of mentioned, well, let's see the biggest foremost one is is kind of the like recognizing and like kind of using your eyes to see what is the the whole getting in to see you going to look like for this person right like what are the barriers to that and how can you smooth it out the most that we've kind of talked about before you know um and then you know making sure that you're using the right language or you know the right gender using the right name, making sure that you're not, you know, just using the legal name that was put on the chart and making sure that you know what name to use with someone um is is helpful. And then, you know, and then past that, like sometimes like one of the courses we taught, I remember afterwards, you know, we're we're trying on and on to kind of explain like, you know, they're they're transgender people are they're they're everyone, right? Like there's no like transgender issues or like like you know like a, this is these are the exercises for transgender people and yet we would still get like on the the forms at the end of the class like someone saying oh i just wish you we had more suggestions of what exercises and stretches to do you know and i'm like well like it could be a shoulder or a knee or like you know, like, you know so that's one thing it's just to realize like you're you're dealing with the person in front of you right you're not dealing with like a transgender person in front of you. Um, and, you know, and then the other big thing to make someone feel comfortable is to make sure that you're not like, oh, wow, you're my first trans patient. Tell me what it's like being trans. And what does this mean? And what does cisgender mean? And asking them to do like a transgender 101 with you, which is what happens often. Because I think um, sometimes cisgender care providers think of that as like showing interest or being supportive and opening and affirming. But, you know, like if you had to go to your doctor and they're asking you all about like, tell me what physical therapists do, right? Instead of like, no, like, no, like, I'm here because I'm sick, you know, like, I don't want to educate you, you know, use the Google. Um, but yeah, so, so that's another big factor. And then as far as like sports and, and, and things like that, the, um, the, the chest binders are a big thing for people who are non-binary or, um, or like trans masculine, or a trans man, and all of those things can kind of mean something different. But you know, if you consider someone who is like intentionally pressing their breasts down as flat as they possibly can, so that they keep like a a more masculine, presenting chest and then if they're seeing you for like working out or for fitness or like that would be something you would want to know right because it's really going to affect the way that they can breathe and if you're asking them to like do diaphragmatic breaths or you're asking them to expand more with their like you know if they are really constricted through their rib cage and not telling you that then um you know that's going to be important or if they're having back pain, uh, you know, with, um, with an exercise you're doing, like, is it because of something that they're doing with their body, you know, based on like some sort of uh, bounding their chest down that they're doing that it's problematic. So, um, that would be an important one. And then there's also, I haven't, like, I, uh, like the last I looked at the research with it, um, for, you know, there are some different considerations as far as, like if someone starts taking testosterone and you know they have a frame that has been an estrogen-based body, and then they start building more muscle mass, you know, you know, or if someone starts going from a testosterone-based body and starts taking estrogen, like are they more at risk of osteoporosis and you know things like that, looking at bone health, or if they were on um, suppressors, so hormone um, suppressors or puberty suppressors when they were younger, because sometimes what will happen with kids is if a kid identifies themselves as transgender um, prior to puberty, um, sometimes they'll go on puberty blockers or puberty suppressors um, for a few years so that they can kind of like make, you know, like feel like, yes, that's definitely how I identify. That's definitely, I, I you know, I... I I'm in an estrogen-based body, but I definitely identify as male, then it can save a whole lot of um, surgeries and issues if they can go through a testosterone Mm -hmm. puberty, right? So they can do a medically-based testosterone puberty, and then that really changes the way that their body forms and the way that they grow up and everything. Um, but that also can change their calcium absorption. So that that can be a thing as far as like making sure that we're looking at bone health and um, doing bone health assessments and encouraging some good stuff with that. Is that enough? Do You want more?
0: <laughs> I was thinking I think, the most think- stuff for you, you know? <laughs> I think that's plenty. That just gives a nice overview, Heather. <laughs> okay. um, we and um, I'll just encourage if anyone's listening at the moment, if you have any final questions, if you can just pop them in the Facebook feed right now because we're going to start to you know tie things together and you know close it all off. But Heather, we just we'd really love to to hear from you um, what you a little bit more about the course that you have on on Pelvic Guru. Um, so what that who who it's for and what it covers. Um, so who'd recommend to do that that Pelvic Guru course, um, and any other courses or things that you'd recommend for, um, well, I guess my, mostly for physios. But if you know anything apart from the podcast that you talked about before for fit pros as well, yeah, feel free to just use this opportunity to you know tell everyone where they can learn more. Cool. Yeah. So
2: um, yeah. So as far as my the the course on Pelvic Guru, you know, it's been funny with again pandemic stuff. I haven't looked at the courses for a while because the live courses aren't exactly happening right now, but it's later this fall. And if you go to pelvicguru.com and look at courses, it's sometime, I think in October or November. So, you know, far enough out that I don't have to remember what the date is right now. Um, But yeah, and that one will be in Atlanta. And um, it's a sex counseling course, which kind of what we try to do, it's a Very queer centric, but then we try to give you a whole lot of tools on taking like all the the complicated sexual issues that people come into you with, either if that's the in the primary thing or if it's a secondary thing, and teach you really how to like break those issues down and have understandings of how to, you know, give them the the tools that they need to be able to, you know, talk through things with their hus or with their their spouses or their partners or whoever it is or um, you know, or if they're on their own, you know, what they need to, to kind of just do their self work to be able to figure out how their body works, um, to, to give lots of tools and ideas on how to do that. Um, and then also be able to work through, you know, like I said, kind of separating like the, the rehab pieces away from the, the erotic pieces of it and build those up and then bring them together i mean that's kind of what the the course is is how to to manage all those sides of it and bring it together we had we've only done one course like that so far um, and we got really good feedback and uh, people left feeling like they really had a pretty solid toolkit of ways to work with their clients afterwards um well maybe teach another transgender class as well um, i'm not sure yet we don't have it on the books exactly. Um, but there's the, the APTA one that's coming up that Sandy Gallagher's teaching, which will be fantastic. She's wonderful. Um, let's see. Yeah, and then Mike, um, can I talk about my illustrations and my coloring book? So yeah. All right, so um, we talked about, like, I like to do crotch doodles, and so one of the the kind of fun things that I have available for medical providers and sex educators is I have a library of crotch art that is available, and so it's all kind of, like, fun line drawings. Um, Some of them are labeled, and some of them are not labeled. Some of them are colored in all sorts of crazy rainbow colors. Some of them are done in all sorts of different flesh tones. Um, I use both traditional labels for them, and then I also use non-binary labels, which just means like, instead of saying vagina, we would say canal or introitus, just so any of the terms that are heavily gendered, we're going to try to find a different, like still medically accurate term, but one that might not be as gender dysphoria inducing for someone who's trans or non-binary. So I have seven different varieties of crotches that are available in all of these different formats. And that's something um, if you go to uh, heatheredwardscreations.com, it's um, available and you can actually buy access to that packet. So where you can use them on, you know, handouts, presentations, flyers, your website, whatever the heck you want. But um, so that's kind of a fun thing I have. And then the, the more fanciful version are my coloring books that I do so my first one was let's see it's here it's called important parts a coloring book for the crotch enthusiast so it's all um, external genital anatomy I also teach you how to draw your very own and it has um, it has the labeled things in it and stuff as well so I try to we do some education and then we have you know kind of the different fun versions of Crotches and whatnot. This is one of my favorites with the honeybees, the honeybee vulva. But yeah, so that one's all external anatomy, and it's got all the kinds. Here's one that is very scary: at praying mantis vulva. I like it. That was my thoughts on feminism one day. The praying mantis. This is mermaid. So yeah, all sorts of different stuff. Um, so that was the first one that came out, and then just here last week. I had, and this is still the sample copy. I don't have my actual ones yet, so this is still one of the draft ones, but it's actually released on Amazon now. So this is The Inside Story, another coloring book for the crotch enthusiast. And this one has a whole lot more anatomy in it, and we go into all of the, like, internal stuff. I have, like, a whole anatomy geek-out section in the back because it goes through a lot of, like, like trans surgeries and, like, different things that you'll look at and see. And... um. Here's one here. So like this one for example is like an anatomy take but this would be like a trans female so someone who had a vulvoplasty so like we've got a clitoris that was made from the tip of the penis and then the neurovascular bundle that goes back here so it doesn't have the legs that come back. Um, and then the vagina um, and they still have a prostate and yeah so all of that. But yeah, so I just kind of tried to make lots of different things. I think some of them have like Luna cups and there is a really great like witchy period one with a Luna cup in it and all sorts of different things and plenty of penises too. So yeah, so those are kind of my fun, weird, nerdy thing. And it's also been like with all of the pandemic stuff it's been my like i just want to keep drawing so i have another one that'll be coming out probably like in a couple of weeks it's like ways to play and it's even more it's got tentacle vulvas and drag queen penises and yeah like here's some fun drag queen penis.
0: so you know it's i love word. it it's like peacock peacock feathers coming out of the People. Oh, I've got
2: one of those uh, too. <laughs> yeah, peacock, right? That's all we got to call that one.
0: <laughs> so people can buy them on Amazon, and yep. then the individual pictures you buy from EdwardsCreations.com.
2: Yes, and they'll be the yeah. There's a little picture with the anatomy illustration project.
0: So. And do you encourage some of your clients to color, like, find a picture that they connect with, and then color them in and decorate them?
2: yeah and i'll you know and i do i always teach people how to draw their own too so that you can just kind of like you know because it's that thing of like there's not like an a or a b it's you know it's like, yeah what do we got you know
0: so one of my one of my colleagues showed us some pictures the other day of um and i don't i don't know if it's from your drawings heather or from a different one but they she'd asked her patient to go away and you know just color it in she brought it back and she completely bedazzled this vulva like it had, it had sparkles on it. It had glittered diamond diamantes. Like <laughs> she said, you it was amazing.
2: Go into the medical record, right? Yeah, you know, like, like that could be a thing. Like, you know, start off like, you know, it would be really fun to have a research project of kind of going through someone as they're going through pelvic PT. Teach them how to do a basic vulva drawing at the beginning, and then like, mm-hmm. share, like their kind of self thoughts about what their
0: vulva is like. <laughs> What colors they use and everything? How do you feel about your vulva right now? Right. I'm feeling right. sparkles. I'm feeling right. glitter. Right.
2: I'm feeling I'm great. Like monster teeth. You know, like what is it? Yeah.
1: Ben. Yeah. It's um, it, it's an interesting thing. You know, I often share a story. I I, I was seeing um, somebody somebody came to see me who was uh, an artist. Um, and just all the languaging about the left side of his body was useless, broken, you know, all of the, all of the destructive words. And and so I asked him, what would it look like if you drew it? And, and he just gave this word picture of basically half of his spine looking very decrepit and the other half looking totally normal and strong. And, um, you know, when you were saying, you know, we should chart how they see their vulvas, um, through through treatment like i mean that's that would be a really interesting thing like you said that hmm it's got it's got my mind thinking about different things but um yeah no totally good um i've got the job of wrapping up so it's been a it's been a great conversation always love having a chat with you heather um you know we we opened with um what exactly is lg lgbt QIA, um, uh-huh. uh, and and just some of the words uh, around that, uh, you know that gender is an inside thing, um, and so then your genitals don't don't uh, equal your gender. Mm-hmm. The title of the the title of the show, yeah. um, and just uh, you know the the whole spectrum of why that's difficult to to have this binary you are either male or female um and you know touched on the cultural difficulties that people go through uh the difficulties uh with language and and our beliefs and and our cultural upbringing their cultural upbringing communication i i did a mini summary earlier that a lot of what i was getting was communication and and understanding and and meeting people where they're at and being able to you know to not project our own beliefs and feelings but to meet people where they're at um, as well as just you know peeking open the door of what some of the issues are just to expand the space of possibilities so that we know that there are things that are out there I, I really appreciate every time you tell us about um, experiences of people and, and dealing with the healthcare providers because uh, that opens my eyes to not just what I, I could be doing, but what their journey looks like and almost the, the microaggressive um, nature of interacting in the world. Um, that's how I would summarize that. Um, and there's just so much more, you know, we've covered in an hour and a half. So it's been really, really fantastic. I'm excited that you have a course, one little, you know, personal resonance thing was, hey, I just did this course on on this and, and really showing you how it's same, same, but different and, and getting the feedback, cause you've seen my feedback, right? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I was really hoping that we would do more, the exercises were great, but I really wanted to learn more about pelvic organ prolapse and how to deal with that with exercise. Right. And it's like the, the whole course is about <laughs> using normal exercises to help people with pelvic organ prolapse. Um, but you know, the thing that because I started seeing that feedback, what I um, what I realised was that people are just not ready sometimes for the shock of it's okay to keep using normal exercise. That you know, we're trained that you have a special problem, you need special exercise, um, and and we're just. I love how you said, you know, we're just people, so mm-hmm. you know, treat them like people. Um, So, having a course that's great, I'm um, looking forward to hearing more about it. Um, And even, you know, even putting it online, you know, in this environment, being able to translate that into an online course. And you've mentioned other resources and the Google and, um, you know, I know that there are other courses about um, Transgender 101 and um, all the 101s for all the acronyms and understanding that even um i think you called it asect um yeah. even that that's a qualification um and it takes time and money and study having that i didn't even know that that was a thing do you know what i mean so just understanding that that's out there is is been fantastic and, and what we really do want to do in this podcast is just to raise awareness of the great work that so many people are doing out there So thank you for, for that. And you've got your coloring books, which, uh, we will get the links for on Amazon so that, um, people can go to the website or in the show notes and click on the links and to be able to see, uh, the Heather Edwards creations, um, which is your handle on Instagram and on Facebook. Is it what's your Facebook page or Um. personal?
2: my Facebook, I have my personal page, which is Heather um, Rich, R-E-I-C-H Edwards, um, or uh, Vino and Vulvas is my other, we didn't talk about that first, but that my the sex ed events that I do are called Vino and Vulvas, um, like wine and pussy. So Vino and Vulvas. Um, but yeah, so that is, um, yeah, that beautifully wrapped up all of that. Um, Oh, I also wanted to say that I have, as far as another resource, um, there is a group of uh, a discussion group that we have that I think y'all both are in, but it's the transgender uh, non-binary, or I think it's, forget exactly how I named it, way too many words in it, trans, non-binary, and intersex pelvic health discussion group that's on Facebook, and so that's usually a pretty helpful thing for a lot of us that are seeing trans patients um, and, you know, talking about different gender and, um, and orientation things as they relate to um, pelvic health. So another great resource there.
1: Awesome. Um, look, thank you very much for your time. Um, always learning and love learning um, and love, love having a chat to you. And it's great to chat face to face like this. Um, thank you for sharing everything um, and really, um, there's somebody walking to my front door and in this environment, it's like, oh my goodness, why is someone walking to my front door? Um, <laughs> um, so thank you very much. so weird the doorbell
0: rings, back. isn't it? It's like,
1: yep. oh Hold my on. God, there's someone at my door. Why is this? So what
0: do that they want?
2: On both sides of the world, like all the way around, we're all...
1: <laughs> I know, it's, <laughs> it's so, so weird. weird. <laughs> it's so weird. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, any last words of wisdom Marika, because Marika is the wiser one. So, any any last words, Marika? Heather,
0: I got nothing. No, I just okay. want to say <laughs> thank you, Heather. I I really enjoyed this. I always feel like I'm I'm learning so much every time we speak to somebody. But this is certainly an area that I know very little about. So, I really appreciate you you know bringing it down to our level and making it really palatable and easy to understand. And um, I think our audience will really appreciate that. So, thank you.
2: Good. Thanks. And you know, anytime if there's any of these topics that you're like let's dive into that deeper just let me know and I'm happy to so yeah so it'll be good so oh, it you hit it here. I haven't I haven't done a podcast in a while and I thought ooh, fun So, yeah, yeah we
1: thank you. we're always open to having people come back and talk to us more so um yeah there's oh there were so many topics that you brought up that that could be um, oh. you know like we just skim the surface we just skim mm. the surface so it's been fantastic so thanks very much. Check out the show notes. Um, get to the website. Check out Heather's um, Heather's work, uh, her creations work, as well as um, reaching out to her. You know, Heather Heather has always been great with having a chat on Messenger, and um, so you know, contact her through social media. That'll be fantastic. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the other side. Well, that's it for this episode. Be sure to hit like if you enjoyed the episode and leave any comments or questions below. We'd really like to hear from you.
0: If you haven't already hit subscribe, please do so now so that you can be kept notified when we release our next episode.
1: Otherwise, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you back with us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast.